So if you have your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 7, we're going to do the first 17 verses. This Melchizedek was king of the city of Salem and also a priest of God most high. When Abraham was returning home after winning a great battle against the kings, Melchizedek met him and blessed him. Then Abraham took a tenth of all he had captured in battle and gave it to Melchizedek. The name Melchizedek means king of justice and king of Salem means king of peace. There is no record of his father or mother or any of his ancestors, no beginning or end to his life. He remains a priest forever, resembling the Son of God. Consider then how this Melchizedek was, uh, how he was. Even Abraham, the great patriarch of Israel, recognized this by giving him a tenth of what he had taken in battle. Now the law of Moses requires that the priests who are descendants of Levi must collect a tithe from the rest of the people of Israel, who are also descendants of Abraham. But Melchizedek, who was not a descendant of Levi, collected a tenth from Abraham. And Melchizedek placed a blessing upon Abraham, the one who had already received the promises of God. And without question, the person who has the power to give a blessing is greater than the one who is blessed. The priests who, collected tithe, who collect tithes are men who die. So Melchizedek is greater than they because we are told that he lives on. In addition, we might even say that these Levites, the ones who collect the tithe, pay a tithe to Melchizedek when their ancestor Abraham paid a tithe to him. For although Levi wasn't born yet, the seed from which he came was in Abraham's body when Melchizedek collected the tithe from him. So if the priesthood of Levi, on which the law was based, could have achieved the perfection God intended, why did God need to establish a different priesthood? with a priest in the order of Melchizedek instead of the order of Levi or Aaron. And if the priesthood is changed, the law must also be changed to permit it. For the priest we are talking about belongs to a different tribe, whose members have never served at the altar as priests. What I mean is, our Lord came from the tribe of Judah, and Moses never mentioned priests coming from that tribe. This change has been made very clear. Since a different priest who is like Melchizedek has appeared, Jesus became a priest, not by meeting the physical requirement of belonging to the tribe of Levi, but by the power of a life that cannot be destroyed. And the psalmist pointed this out when he prophesied, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for a beautiful day that we, you have offered us as a gift, Lord, that we may come and worship you. Lord, we thank you for a chance to sit with our brothers and sisters in Christ and fellowship, and Lord, and share with them our victories from this week and, and also our concerns. Lord, we ask that you would bless each and every one of us here. You would watch over our children as they're in children's church, and you would be with the volunteers up there, Lord. May the words that they share with the children even be your words to this morning. Lord, as Pastor Doug comes and preaches to us, that which you have laid on his heart, I ask that we would be focused on you and what you would have for us in this moment, Lord. Lord, speak into our lives that we may be transformed to look a little bit more like you today. And Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In many ways, when we read the Word of God or even as we 
teach the Word of God through the Bible, one inevitably comes to portions of scriptures that the tendency is to skip over. A lot of commentaries will do that, but this morning I'm not allowed to because we are in chapter 7 of the book of Hebrews trying to make some kind of understanding of who this Melchizedek is. What's interesting, though, even as we, before we even get into it, is that this Melchizedek, in many ways, has been described in many different forms. He's been looked at as being nothing more than an angel that appeared to Abraham, and we'll get there in Genesis chapter 14. And some say he is a supernatural being that even had greater powers than Jesus Christ. Well, that one we can X off right now. That's not going to happen. And then there are those who describe him as being a pre-incarnate, if you will, appearance of Jesus Christ. This morning, we're going to take a different look at Melchizedek than all three of those examples. I trust that as we go through this, we'll come to a better understanding because Hebrews chapter 7 is a very demanding, fascinating, challenging, yes, and rewarding section of the book of Hebrews. In fact, the real burning question as chapter 7 enters in is this, who is Melchizedek? Who is he? Previously, and the writer of Hebrews has already introduced him two different times. In chapter 5 and verse 10, he's introduced as Jesus is order, after the order of Melchizedek. And then again in chapter 6 and verse 20, the closing verse previously to now this Melchizedek. Who is he? What is he about? And so this morning we trust that we'll look at three reasons why Jesus Christ is greater than the Levitical priesthood, specifically through the person of Aaron, because he's forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, before we come to any kind of explanation, we first have to look at chapter 5 and verse 11. After the writer of Hebrews introduces Melchizedek and the fact that Jesus is forever after the order of Melchizedek, in verse 11 he says, there's much to be said here, but you are not ready. You're still infants. One translation says you're lazy because you don't want to know. Thus, the problem. It's almost like the writer of Hebrews gets up to that thought and he backs away a little bit and he starts to highlight different things of the Christian life, such as the problem of spiritual infancy. Why haven't you grown? The problem, if you will, if to uh, the pathway to spiritual maturity. And then he closes that whole parenthetical section, again repeating what was in chapter 5, 10. He says it again in chapter 6, 
20, forever after the order of Melchizedek. You kind of wonder if he thought maybe something like this. Well, covered all of that, and here we are, we're still back here, so we might as well just plunge right into it and, and get through it. And so that's our chore this morning. Not that we're going to move quickly. In fact, I probably won't get finished. And all God's people would say, oh, good, I'm glad it was. Yeah, y'all give me a clap there. Yeah, we're getting done early. Okay, good. No. Uh, but anyway, this section is daunting. As far as the epistle Hebrews says, because it's the imagery of the writer of Hebrews is trying to communicate to a group of individuals, a first century Christians, from the Hebrew faith. I would suspect that if a 21st century theologian would try to do the same thing, he would go at it totally differently. But the writer of Hebrews wonderfully and graciously uses the, if you will, the theological study, what's called typology. Typology. T-Y-P-E-O-L-O-G-Y. Typology. And in the scriptures, it's very prevalent in many times. Jesus has, uh, Noah's Ark has been a type of what Jesus Christ will do. But I want to give you at least two illustrations that may help you to understand what typology is. The first illustration I want to give to you is located, if you will, in the book of Numbers, chapter 21. Turn there quickly, and if you don't wish to, then that's your assignment for this afternoon. But Numbers, chapter 21, you might remember is when God instructs Moses to put on top of a pole a serpent or a snake. And it was because of the children of Israel's disobedience to God that God had sent in this herd, if you will, of snakes. And whoever was bitten, if they did not look to that pole, they would die. That's a type. And so God told Moses... Lift up this pole that whoever would look at it would be rescued. They would be healed. They would continue to live. That's the type. Now, in the New Testament, Jesus uses this teaching form as what's called the anti-type. The type is the pole, the snake on the pole. The anti-type now is you've got to go to John chapter 3 and verse 14. John chapter 3 and verse 14. And Jesus says these words. Now these are the words of Jesus. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Life. So Jesus takes the Old Testament picture of the event in Numbers chapter 21 and he applies it immediately to his purpose. That whosoever looks at the cross will be saved. 
Uh, let me give you one more, just so that it whets your appetite a little bit. You don't need to turn here, but in Exodus chapter 12, verse 5, during the Passover, the God instructs Moses of the type of animal, lamb, if you will, that needs to be offered and the blood to be put on the top and sides of the doors so that the death angel would pass over. The angel had, the, 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 the sacrifice had to be perfect. No blemishes, nothing. Well, now you're thinking, so what? We, we know that. Well, if you now, and listen to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. Listen to these words. And Peter says to them, You weren't redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, but rather with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb. Now notice, without blemish or defect. We have the type in Exodus chapter 12. We have the anti-type fulfilled, if you will, in Jesus Christ. Now with that being said, I want you to go to Hebrews chapter 7, and we are going to put together the first verse and the end of the, sec of the third verse. We're just going to manipulate that a little bit. I think you'll understand what I'm getting at. It says, for this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of God, most high. Now go over to chapter 3, the last sentence. But resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. You might have in a translation like the Son of God. It is the type and the anti-type. So what makes Melchizedek so difficult to understand? Well, that comes in the previous middle verses of two and, and, and the rest of three. He's described as one who has no beginning and no end. No daddy, no mommy, not even any other generational information about him. Now, why is that important? Why would the writer of Hebrews, writing to a group of first century Hebrew Christians, include Melchizedek? Well, you've got to remember, they are thinking of going back to the old way, back to the Levitical priesthood. And so now we are faced with an understanding, who is this individual? In my study... Though shallow as it may be, I've come to realize that this individual is like every other individual that has ever walked this earth. He's a person. We don't have a genealogy of him, which brings us to the first point. That in order for an individual to serve in the Levitical priesthood, they had to have the genealogy from Aaron. They had to have the family line that flowed from Aaron, the tribe of Levi. Now, why is that so crucial? 
Because if you did not have those credentials, if you did not have that bloodline, in fact, ladies, even if your mother didn't have the, if you will, characteristics, a certain characteristics of being a wife of a high priest, you could not be a high priest in the order of Leviticus. You had to have the credentials. Now, let me give you a text that proves that. Now you're going to have to dig a little bit because it's been a long time since you've been in the book of Ezra. We were told earlier that Ezra comes before Nehemiah. And if that doesn't help you, just go to the table of contacts and you'll find it. It'll tell you what page to go to. Ezra chapter 2. Ezra chapter 2. Ezra chapter 2, if you get to Psalms, keep going left, 2 Chronicles, there you go, Ezra chapter 2. First of all, it opens up with a whole lot of names that we cannot pronounce. But when we get to verse 61, verse 61 And it says, and from the descendants of the priests and the descendants of Hobiah, descendants of Hakaz, the descendants of, yeah, okay, fine, 62. <laughs> These searched for their entries in the genealogical records, but they could not be found, so they were disqualified from the priesthood. These individuals that came back from the Babylonian captivity are coming back. They're saying, hey, we're part of the Levitical priesthood. And they say, prove it. Show us the credentials. Give us your birth certificate. We want to see it. And they could not be found. And so whoever was in charge said, sorry, boys, you are disqualified because you cannot present the credentials. You cannot be a priest after the order of Levi without credentials. Well, how does that relate to Melchizedek? He didn't have any credentials. Why? Because his priesthood was based upon his Character, not credentials. His priesthood did not qualify him in the realm of needing a long geological, if you will, outlay. He was declared by God because of his character. Now, to prove we got to go back to Genesis 14. This is the first instance where Melchizedek shows up. Genesis chapter 14. I know I'm, I'm putting you through Bible memory, but that's okay. Genesis chapter 14. 
It tells to us in chapter 14, verse 17. After Abram, who we know to be Abraham, returned from giving Shabdalomimar a dubbing, he beat him up. And the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the Shevev Valley, that is the king's valley. Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest to God most high. He blessed him and said, Abraham is blessed by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has handled, handed over your enemies. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Then the text is silent. Not until we get to Psalm 110 and verse 4. Where again David mentions in that messianic psalm. He mentions Forever after the order of Melchizedek, then the text is silent. Then we get to the book of Hebrews. Chapter 5, verse 10. Chapter 6, verse 20. Chapter 7. After that, it is silent. So what do we gather from this? Well, first of all, Melchizedek is a high priest based solely upon his godly character. But the writer of Hebrews doesn't stop there. Why is he talking about Melchizedek? Well, you've got to remember that they are looking and saying, what do we got now? We've got no, we've got no altar. We've got no high priest. We've we got no sacrificial system. Uh-oh. What are we doing? What? Too much is happening to us, and, and we've lost all of our identity. Let's go back to the old way, and the writer of Hebrews says, stop. You've got a high priest that is from a different tribe, and he's an everlasting high priest. Now, where do you get that, Pastor Doug? Well, now you've got to go back to Numbers chapter 8. You don't need to turn there, but I'm going to give you some homework. In Numbers chapter 8, God tells Moses strict instructions concerning a high priest. An individual in Romans chapter, or Numbers chapter 8, excuse me, cannot become a high priest unless they qualify from the tribe of Levi. Secondly, they can start at 25 years old. And the first five years up to age 30, they're in school. You got to know how to properly cut sacrifices, how properly to present them to God. And so five years, they are in training that when they reach the age of 30, they begin to perform the office of priest but it ends at age 50. So only for 25 years can they minister in the temple of God. 
I told my wife, I'm 18 years beyond that. Well, I thought that'd be better than that, but anyway. <laughs> and so their priesthood had an ending. It stopped. At 50, it was done. They could not serve anymore as high priest in the realm of the temple of God. They were done. And so with Melchizedek, because he did not come from the tribe of Levi, because his credentials were based upon his character and his righteousness, he is a living priest. Remember, it says there's no record of his death. That continues on even today in the person, the anti-type, Jesus Christ. Do you all understand that? You all, you all got that. Well, that's only the first part. Now the author takes it even deeper because as we read in Genesis chapter 14, Abraham, Abram at that time, offers to this Melchizedek a tenth of the spoils of the war that he has just won to rescue his nephew Lot. But the stage is set back, back to uh, Hebrews chapter 7. You all got to see this. In verse 4, now consider how great this man was, was. Even Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the plunder to him. The sons of Levi who received the priestly office have a command according to the law to collect a tenth from the people. That is, from their brothers and sisters, though they have also descended from Abraham, the Levitical priest, is supposed to gain, if you will, a collection from the people, which gives them the air, if you will, of authority. Melchizedek received a tithe from Abraham, proving of his stature, his greatness, being blessed by God. Now you're kind of wondering, what is the, what's the big deal with Abraham in this? Well, if, if you go to the book of John chapter 5, you begin to see this Situation. In fact, in the Sunday school class that's going to meet in this, you're going to get to that point. Before Abraham was, I am. That got, that was troubling to the priesthood. Because they kept saying, we are from our father Abraham. We don't sin like other people sin. We're from our father Abraham. And Jesus said, I'm going to paraphrase. It don't matter where you come from. You're still sinners. 
Well, we're from our father Abraham. And Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. They wanted to pick up stones and stone Jesus because of that statement. The Levitical priesthood was there to express, this is who we came from. But yet, do you understand what Abraham did? He offered a tenth to Melchizedek. How important is that? The third point, I got time, third point, is that while the seed of Levi, Aaron, was in the loins of Abraham, Abraham gave a tenth to Melchizedek. Proving that even Aaron, by proxy, also gave a tenth to Melchizedek. Aaron didn't receive a tithe. He gave. And in that was a blessing. The greater gave the blessing to the least. Grandparents bless children. Great-grandparents bless great-grandchildren. Grandchildren don't bless unless they behave. Grandchildren don't bless parents or grandparents or great-grandparents. The blessing flows from greater to lesser. And when Melchizedek put a blessing upon Abraham, all of a sudden now Melchizedek is superior even to the tribe of Levi. And one more thing, quickly. As Pastor Steve read, it describes later on from verse 11 through 17 that this one we're talking about, we're talking about Jesus. He didn't come through the tribe of Levi. He came through the tribe of Judah. That's why we have the, the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1 and in Luke chapter 4. The genealogy of Jesus points to him being the king, not the priest. He's the king. The priest came through Melchizedek. Jesus never offered in the temple of God, on the altar of God, never offered a sacrifice. But he offered himself upon the cross. That in his death, burial, and resurrection... He has become our high priest forever. It doesn't stop at 50 years old. Forever. So now these first century Hebrew Christians begin to put two and two together. And they come to realize that this Jesus, whom they have put aside everything that they were taught to follow this one who died for them, 
Now they are encouraged to know that this high priest will never end. You may come to him at any moment. And we get to that later on in the book of Hebrews. We can come at any moment and any time we come to the throne of grace where we find grace and mercy to help in time of need. Why can we do that? Because the door is always open. And Christ is there as our high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Oh, I trust that maybe you've gained a little bit of knowledge, but I would rather have you come to gain a little bit wonder of who Jesus Christ is. And he is worth following, even in the moments of darkness, for he is forever a high priest after the order of Melchizedek based upon his credentials as the eternal son of God. Let's pray. God, it's difficult for us to put all of this together in such a short time, but it's valuable that we can understand why the writer of Hebrews puts in this portion about the priesthood of Melchizedek. The Levitical priesthood ceases after the order of Melchizedek. It never ceases. That's how precious you are. And oh Lord God, I pray that we would not forget as we continue on in chapter 7, now we come to the point of realizing that Jesus Christ has brought a new and living way. The old has been done away with. The new and living way. Because with every high priest comes a different. And Jesus Christ has brought to us hope, life, continuation of joy, all because of his finished work. And we thank you, O oh Lord God, for that. And may you bless these dear people today, O oh Lord God, and allow us the privilege to remember that our great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, is forever living, never cease throughout all of eternity he will be forever after the order of Melchizedek. And I'm so glad that as our high priest, we can come to him and even close off a prayer as we say in the name of Jesus. Amen.